0: Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, and chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. We're still in 1 Timothy this evening. Again, this is a man called Paul writing to a man called Timothy. We saw this morning about his uh, wonderful gospel in chapter 1, and we're looking at something that couldn't be more practical now in chapter 6. Now, um, let's see. Let me read to you from verse... 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then from verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age... Not to be haughty, that means proud or high-minded, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Amen. What would you do if you came into loads of money? It's one of those questions you might ask or entertain from time to time. What would you do if you had a bottomless pot of money? If you followed a rainbow and got to the end and found that there was a leprechaun with a pot of gold, what would you do with it? I'd give it to my kids. That's a common one. I'd keep it. I'd save it, I'd invest it, I'd pay my mortgage, whatever it may be. Here in uh, 1 Timothy 6, we have a command, verse 17, to the rich. Now, I don't think anyone came here this evening in a Ferrari. If you did, I'd like a lift home. So what has this got to do with us? By first century standards, I don't need to tell you this, surely, we are all absolutely stinking rich. This command is to all of us, a hundred times over. A historian around the same time that Paul was writing, he wrote down and he mentioned just in passing that if you happened to be in a riot in the city centre and you managed to join in with the looting and you managed to get for yourself while looting a handkerchief... Then you've hit it big He says that's precious loot That's the sort of uh, Relative context That we're talking in here The concept you know That some of us Would go weekly Or even monthly To buy all the things That we need from the shops In one go And still have money left over Would be absolutely Mind boggling to them Be under no illusion Make no mistake about it. If you know where your next meal is coming from, then these words are for you. Now here Paul has two dos and two don'ts to do with money. The first don't, in verse 17, do not be proud. Now why would the Lord warn us about pride when it comes to money. Why do you think? He could have warned us of any sort of thing. We just read it's the root of all kinds of evil. Why does he warn us about pride? Well, I think you'll agree it's a natural and a common risk of having any money at all. You can see that really clearly in verses 9 and 10. You might know that phrase, money is Power. And power corrupts. We see that in the world, don't we? Uh, We hear all the lottery stories. It'll come up on BuzzFeed or whatever. So-and-so has won the lottery and it's ruined their lives. It happens from time to time. We know that. We see that in the world. How money can bring snares and it can make horrible people out of good people sometimes, can't it? We know that. We see that. But Scripture is more specific. Paul says, be careful, money can rot you away. Look at verses 9 and 10, it makes us lustful, it can make us dead in sin. See that? Drowning men in destruction and perdition, dead in sin. It can make us evil, it can make us sorrowful, it can make us greedy, and perhaps most frightening of all, it can cost us our faith. For example, some of you might see on the internet or on TV, you'll see some televangelists. They usually have beaming smiles and jets. I don't know how they started out, right? But now what we know is that they are worth millions upon millions upon millions. And the love and pride of money has killed them. And it has cost them their faith. It has turned them into greedy dead men. Beware, Paul says. Do not be high-minded about your money. Alright. If we're not to be high-minded about our money, how are we meant to think about our money? Well, if we're not meant to be high-minded, we're meant to be low-minded, aren't we? We're meant to be humble about our cash. Since it is the Father who gives us every penny we've ever earned, whether or not we're a Christian, we must be humble recipients of that. Each of us now, we are nothing but beggars before a generous God. That's all. Let's get some perspective on this, shall we? Turn with me to the Psalms and Psalm 62. We'll read a verse from there. We'll get some perspective now on true value and worth in this life. Psalm 62 and verse 9 says this. Surely, men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are together lighter than vapor. That's how low down we are and all that we have, even the men of high degree. And then the words that we opened the service with this morning, Psalm 73 and verse 25. What do we have in this world? The psalmist says, there is none on earth that I desire besides you. Whom have I in heaven but you? God is the only thing that is worth possessing and desiring in this world. He is our life and our possession. He is everything. And then finally the prophet Jeremiah You have to turn forwards a few pages Jeremiah 9 This is a wonderful verse Jeremiah 9 and verse 24 Let him who glories So somebody who is boastful if you like somebody. If you're going to boast in anything God says Glory in this That you understand and know me That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. It says if there's anything to have in this world that is worth having. It is our God, our Father. That's the first don't. Do not be proud. Keep that perspective of what real value and worth is in this life. The second don't. Comes in verse 17. It says, Do not what? Command the rich, do not trust in uncertain riches. Why would the Lord have to warn us about trusting money? If loving money is a root of all kinds of evil, why does he tell us not to trust it? Because again, this is a natural and a common risk of having money. It tempts your trust. If you have money, you don't have to worry, do you? You can trust that fat bank balance. It can weather all sorts of things, you know. Burst plumbing, leaky roofs, speeding fines, broken down cars, ill pets. It can weather all of those things if it's fat enough. You can trust money. And if the economy gets hit, don't worry, I have my savings. Now, of course, it's natural, isn't it, to have some degree of money, to have some sort of savings. We all do it. It's it's natural. But here Paul is saying, do not trust that. Don't trust it. Okay, why? Why, Paul? Why shouldn't I trust my money? It does weather these things. It does help me through. He says, do not trust uncertain riches. Money is uncertain, unreliable. It's a bit like, I don't know if you know all this, is like driving a very old car. It's going to give out someday. It'll, it'll take you so far, it probably will last a few more miles, but one day it's just going to give out, and that's what it's like to trust money, Paul says. You see, in this life, cash comes, cash goes. Even its value fluctuates, doesn't it? And it can't even buy you all the things you need. Eventually, it is going to run out, and it doesn't care. What state you're in when it's in someone else's wallet? After this life, you see certain death will take your uncertain riches away. That comes out really clearly in verse seven, doesn't it? You remember that um, rich, the rich man, the parable of the rich man that we heard from the Lord Jesus in our reading. He stored up all of these uncertain riches, and he pulled down his small barns and got even more uncertain riches. And he just got more and more and more uncertain riches, and then it all went away. There's a famous actor called Denzel Washington. You might like some of his films. And he recently said in a video, and if you you want to see it, you can let me know. I can send you the link. He's talking about his faith and all sorts of things like that. It's very encouraging. And he said, you see, one thing you will never witness at a funeral, he says, you will never see a van behind a hearse. (laughs) He means you'll never see somebody who's rented a van to take all of their possessions with them into the next life. Hearses don't have vans following them. He's absolutely right. Okay, let's go back in time about 1,600 years. The year is 368. A man called Basil. That's a good name, isn't it? He's preaching. Basil preaches to the rich who trusted in their money, and so they were hoarding it all. And this is what he said. Since wealth overflows, it gets buried underground, stashed away in secret places, for, they say, the future is uncertain. We may, see un- we may face unexpected needs. But it is just as uncertain whether you will have any use for your buried gold. It is not uncertain, however, what the penalty shall be for the inhumanity of not sharing your money. When you failed with your thousands of ideas to spend all your money, you buried it beneath the earth. A strange madness, he says. When gold lies hidden with other metals in the earth, we ransack the earth and pull it all out. And once it has seen the light of day, we bury it again to keep it safe. Basil says, in burying your money you bury your heart also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, if you trust money, it will become your idol. It will fool you. It will betray you. And when you bury it down to keep it safe, you will bury there your heart and it will rot you away. Who do you think knows these don'ts best. Who has learned these lessons the hard way? You can think of some good examples, no doubt, maybe even in your own family or something like that, but uh, perhaps the best example is Judas Iscariot. We read here in Matthew 26, Verse 14, one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to do, what are you willing to give me, rather, what are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus to you? And they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time, once he saw that cold, hard cash... He sought opportunity to betray the Lord Jesus. You see, Judas was too proud in his money to follow generous Jesus. He balked at the idea that Jesus would be so generous. He trusted money. And it corrupted him. Judas, as promised in the Scriptures, became lustful, evil, sorrowful, dead in sin and greedy. It cost him his faith. Having sold his own saviour, Judas then, do you remember? He threw that money back. He threw away the useless, the uncertain money that cost him so much. But it was too late. And as he swung from that tree in hell, he knew the love of money had betrayed him. Allow me to be practical now on these don'ts before we turn to the do's. What does it look like to be high-minded about cash, to be proud about money? What do you think that looks like? Well, we can think of some obvious ones, can't we? You see those uh, influencers on the gramme. Instagram, you see them uh, all decked out with all, all the sort of bling and glitter that they got on, showing off money on social media. It's no good. All right? That's being high-minded about our cash, about our money. And hence, the New Testament is really clear, commanding us as Christians to be modest in how we dress because of money. You can, uh, I, we haven't got time to look at it now, but write this down. 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 10, and James chapter 2. Modesty in our money, shown in how we dress. So that means how we dress when we come to church as well. Am I being high-minded about my money when I put on my Sunday best? So that's the obvious one. Now there's a subtle one. Being high-minded about cash looks like this. Slavery to earning. Keeping an eye out all the time and always... For that weekend shift to make more money. Now that's not bad in and of itself, but being a slave to that is bad. What does it look like to trust these uncertain riches? It's all well and good decrying it from a pulpit, isn't it? What does that look like in my life? This is another thing that you're going to have to exercise your own judgment on, but basically, Swollen bank accounts. Fear of loss. And on that, consider Luke 12 again that we read a moment ago. What was the sin of the rich man? Do you remember? What did he do that was wrong? Nothing was particularly wrong. Clear in Luke 12, Jesus doesn't say why his soul was required of him or why he died or anything like that. He doesn't have any particular sin laid against him. It wasn't being rich. It was that he stored it all up, trusted in it, and would not share a penny. And so it betrayed him and it made of him a godless fool. So these two don'ts then, they warn us of the dangers, some of the dangers of loving Money, what do you think the remedy is going to be? What do you expect Paul to say next? He doesn't say, since money is so dangerous, we need to give it all away. Make sure we're nice and safe. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, impoverish yourself. Having money is not wrong. Rather, we're told that money, interestingly is among the things which God gives us richly to enjoy. Look there at uh, chapter 6, verse 17. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. After all, who is wealthier than our God? The cattle on a thousand hills is his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns everything. Now the topic here is the proper use of that money. And that's, that's where we're going now this evening, the proper use of that money based on God's character. For example, we're constantly having our attention drawn, aren't we? How God, though he is fabulously wealthy, has a heart for the poor. And he commands us in the scriptures to give our money, to be generous and share. The Lord Jesus on this earth needed money, but he didn't have swollen savings accounts. Who is more generous than he who was rich beyond all splendor? All for love's sake he became poor. Thrones for a stable did surrender, sapphire paved courts for a stable floor. And what Paul is going on to tell us here is that because God is good, we need to be good. Because he is generous, we need to be generous. Because he gives, we must give. Because he shares, we must share. Because he denies himself, we must deny ourselves. Because he is good to others and puts their interests first, so must we. Let's turn to these two do's then, very quickly. The first do in verse 17 says command those who are rich in this present age that's all of us to trust God you see our father is deliberately contrasted here with money it would be quite interesting we could play spot the difference couldn't we money in this column our father in this column One is uncertain, but God is certain. Money is unsure. He is sure. He is reliable, unchanging. He gives us all that we need. He cares about what we need. He meets our needs. He is where our trust is to be found. We can't lose him. Death can't take him away. It's true, you won't see a Europe car following your hearse with all of your goods in it, but you will see the Saviour. Raising the dead on the last day Taking them to be in their eternal reward Because unlike cash He is faithful to the end Do not underestimate the privilege Of being a Christian when it comes to this Paul is about to go on now To tell us to be liberally generous In giving our money away So we might be tempted to think Poor Christians Do you ever get that impression? They have to give up their Sundays, they have to give up the drink, they have to give up their money. Nothing could be more backwards. It's the unbelievers who don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts. They are the poor ones. If they are blessed with brimming pockets, without Jesus they have nothing. Theirs is to be enslaved to uncertain riches Which inevitably are going to betray and rot and kill them Costing them everything But ours Ours, Paul says, is to be free To trust in the Father who meets all of our needs in Christ Jesus He owns everything He gives us all that we need We get to pray every day Our Father Give us this day our daily bread. Fully assured that he's the one who has told us to ask him for that. What a father we have who meets all of our needs in this life. Even if we have holes in empty pockets. But we have Jesus Christ. We have everything. The second do. Command those who are rich. To do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. How would you answer this question? What is the Christian's wealth? If you looked at your bank account, it would have a little pound sign next to all those numbers, wouldn't it? Pounds is how we measure our money. How do we measure the money, the wealth of a Christian? Paul says it is not money, nor is it poverty, it is good works. He says, By good works, by giving and sharing, we are rich in heaven, we earn a real reward. This is very important. What Paul is saying here, his point to Timothy, what he's actually commanding Timothy to do in his church is this. Tell the rich they must do with their money what the poor cannot do with theirs. That's why he's tying good works to giving and sharing. What the rich can afford to do, they must do it, he says. Now, important here to impress, he doesn't say impoverish yourself and give all of your money away and live a pauper. He says give and share. That is the right use of our money. You can see that really clearly in chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, and in Luke 16, verse 9. Do you do that? We are professing Christians, most of us at least in this room this evening, do you do that? Do you make a habit of giving and sharing your money and your possessions, the things that you have? Ephesians 4 verse 28 has something very powerful to say on this. Turn with me to Ephesians 4 verse 28. Again we have Paul writing again about money and he says let him who used to steal steal no longer but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Isn't that interesting? In Ephesians Paul says the reason we work is so that we can earn money to give away. That's amazing. That is striking. That is countercultural. Do you give your money away? Do you share? Are you good like that? Do you do those good works? In your bank account in glory, let's imagine there is such a thing. What does it say next to good works? This is a, that's a sort of um, vague sort of question, isn't it? Uh, Let me put it to you in a different way. Someone asked me this question once and it really stuck with me. So hopefully it will stick with you too. Do you give away, do you share to the point that you even notice? If you don't notice at the end of the month that you've given a lot of things away, will anyone else Will our saviour notice? Paul is telling us here, choose your riches. Serve God, trust God, or serve money and trust money. Store up treasures on this earth where moths uh, moths don't break in, do they? Robbers break in and steal. Moths eat and rust devours. Or store up treasures in glory. Nothing can take those away. So those are the two don'ts and the two do's. Do not be proud, do not trust money and the two goods. Trust God and be rich in good works, giving and sharing. So what's the result of all this? The result of all this is in verse 19. He says that in so doing... In doing these things, in trusting God and in giving away our things and sharing, we are storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven. I don't know about you, but I think that is totally mad. What a mad privilege. What gospel logic is that? That in giving things away, we become more wealthy in the eyes of God. The world stores up treasures only to lose them and we we get brothers and sisters we get to give our money in order to do good and store up more in glory there is a reward for doing good we don't have time to read them now but these are some verses that will assure you that we have a reward in glory for doing good 2 Timothy 4 7 to 8 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 Revelation 22, verse 12. Matthew 16, verse 27. So how is that for an incentive Then, I hope that is an incentive to you, is it? That as we do good and share, we gain uh, that immeasurable treasure in glory as we give away those uncertain riches which are so risky to ourselves We store up certain, true, everlasting, safe riches in glory. Now, that is what you call a no-brainer. Now, we said that the one who knows the don'ts best is Judas Iscariot. Who knows these do's the best? Who is the best? Who's learned those lessons to trust God when they have nothing? To be rich in good works... To be giving and sharing what they have. But of course, the Lord Jesus. This is the source of Paul's encouragement and commands here. When he says, command those who are rich to live like this, it is because their God is like that. It is the character of God that should motivate and cause this behavior in the Christian. Otherwise, there's nothing Christian about it. Our Lord Jesus did not hoard riches of eternal life or even equality with God, but he gave them up. He gave up his bottomless wells of wealth. He emptied himself. What a mystery that is. And he gave himself to this world. What more could he give? We remember those words of Paul that we read this morning. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The wealthiest being in existence who owns everything because he made everything and sustains it all and it's all terminating with him. It's all coming his way became one of the poorest people he gave up everything you know the gospels tell us that Jesus had a purse and the only time money went into that was when somebody was kind enough to give it to him and when money came out of that more often than not it was him taking money out to give to someone else what a saviour we follow What a friend we have as an example. A great example of that is um, at the night of Passover, when Judas Iscariot left the upper room. Do you remember what the disciples said? Oh, Jesus must have told him to go and give money away to the poor. That's so like our Lord Jesus. That's the first thing they thought of. When When Judas left the room, the first thing they thought, oh, Jesus must be giving money away to the poor again. What's more, having given away his money and trusted in his Father, being rich in good works and giving all that he had to give, after giving himself for the enriching and the redeeming of lost sinners who trust in anything but our certain Father, after all of that, Jesus shares with us everything. Once he's raised from the dead, he gives us immortal life. Once he goes and descends into glory, he prepares there a home for us. Even now in your seat, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He shares with us no less than his own eternal throne, so that we might be hid in Christ in God. Talk about generosity. Talk about kindness and grace. Because of his sharing, we get to be co heirs with Christ, partakers of the Godhead. We, creatures, if we work really hard, we might live 85 years and we are. Bound to Jesus Christ who lives forever, co-heirs with him, partakers of the Godhead because of his kindness. He is the example, isn't he, of humble wealth, trusting the Father instead of money, giving and sharing what he has. Okay then, why should we not be proud? All that we have comes from him. Why should we not trust riches? Because they're uncertain and shaky like an old car. Why should we trust God? Because he is certain. Why should we give and share? Because it's nice. Because it's decent. It's humane. Yes, all of those things, but for this to be Christian... We must answer that question like this we must give and share because the father gave his son and the son gave his life and they have given their holy spirit so that we might be givers and sharers like he is it's not that one who is generous like God is will be saved But the one who is saved, who is united with Jesus Christ, will be generous like God is. It's not that the giving soul lives, but the living soul gives. Are you alive in Jesus Christ this evening? I hope so. If you're not, here's your opportunity. Cry out for mercy and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. You'll be remade in his image. Once we're saved, forgiven of our sins, we're made in his image, now we have to think. Please, think. Think about your possessions and all that you own and think, how can I use that for the good of others? How can I use that for good works? How can I best give that and share that? Now that's up to you. Let nobody from a pulpit tell you what to do with that. It might mean giving more money to church. But equally, it might mean giving less money to church so that you can give more money to the homeless. That's for you to work out. Okay? It might be opening up your own home to do good to people like that. It might be as simple as buying a present for somebody. You have no idea how that lifts people's spirits. Paul's bottom line argument here for Timothy. He says, Timothy... Tell your Christians, tell your brothers and sisters, let us be like the God who saved us. Having received everything that we have from him, let us be willing and eager to give everything that we have for one another. Isn't that just right? Let me read to you one verse from Isaiah, and then I will pray briefly before we sing together to close. These words come from Isaiah chapter 53, and they're talking about our Lord Jesus, our great example in these things. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because... He poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have given us in our lives, and we pray that you should open our eyes to see how generous you truly have been to us, Teach us to be sober-minded and wise in our assessment of all that you have given to us to be good stewards over in this life. We bless you, Father, for the example and the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his life of kindness and generosity, sharing and giving. We, Lord, we are the recipients of his kindness and mercy and his enriching. We pray that you should give us his Spirit so that with his mind we should know what is best to do with all that we have. We pray for wisdom and guidance on these things for his name's sake, that his name should be praised amongst us and in the world. Amen.